that's been true over time. You're always presented with challenges and it's, and it's how you respond to those to be successful. The next stop. The next stop. The next stop. Metro's podcast. I'm Laura Whitley. In this episode of The Next Stop, more than two months after efforts to slow the spread of COVID-19 brought dramatic changes to public transportation, businesses are reopening, and Metro's planning team is again hard at work developing strategies to safely and efficiently restore its vital service. Kurt Lorson, Metro Vice President of Service Planning, is helping lead that effort. Kurt, thank you for joining The Next Stop. My pleasure. When your team started looking at how and where to restore service, where did you start and what were some of the your considerations? Well, we're very fortunate in a weird kind of way here in Houston to have gone through a number of past events that has have been guideposts for us. Between the hurricanes that seem to hit every couple years um, and past oil downturns, and uh, the economic shocks that they've brought. Um, we have some real guidelines on what we would expect local bus and park and ride uh, service, how they will react along with light rail. Um, so it's been predictable in that way from people losing their job um, and traveling less obviously to work and they reduce their other trips accordingly. What has been different has been the speed at which that's occurred. Um, so where you normally see that over a number of months or even a year, that has been compressed down to only a few weeks. So um, it's not without precedent. And we also know that just from the demographics of our customers, uh, park and ride riders generally, um, have higher incomes, they have cars available to make trips if they so desire. They also tend to be a much higher percentage of office workers and job where they work from home is definitely uh, an option for a much larger percentage of them than those who are our local bus riders who are tend to not have jobs. Uh, if you are a healthcare worker if you are working in a grocery store or you're working at a distribution center, those kind of jobs cannot be done at home. Um, so we figured that we would lose much less of our local bus ridership than we would park and ride. And that's what we've largely seen. And now we're trying to focus on how does the reverse happen? How will folks come back? So you, in one respect, you, you looked at demographics in terms of who the riders are and what are the services are that they use. We're very fortunate that we, we have good survey data on who uses our system, how often they use it, and we've been able to, to again, correlate that to how those groups have responded in the past under similar, if not exact, circumstances to give us a, a pretty good roadmap of what to expect. And you mentioned um, the health, some of the healthcare workers and other frontline workers. Um, initially, at the height of the stay-at-home orders, the focus was to continue to uh, really to focus on providing those essential trips. Yeah, we very quickly when we 
um, when the number of bus operators and mechanics and cleaners uh, went down, we had to make a decision about what service to, to keep running. Uh, one of the things that we felt was very important was to keep running park and ride service into the medical center uh, to get the folks who are, who are the nurses, the cleaners, and all the folks who work there um, to their jobs so they could be prepared to respond to whatever we saw. So that was a, a tough choice for us to make in canceling all of the other downtown based and all of the other uh, job center based park and ride systems. But we wanted to keep the, the Texas Medical Center service running, uh, likewise keeping the, the light rail service running with as much service as we could between the giant parking lots at Smithlands and, and the medical center, just because so many workers in the medical center um, get there by, by Metro rail. So we actually kept running service every six minutes in the peak on rail and, and supplemented it with extra bus service to try and keep those folks uh, as spaced apart as we could so that they could get to their jobs. And early on, and, and while you were running that service early on, uh, another thing that you had to implement, um, Metro uh, put uh, into place social distancing policies that reduced seating capacity by about 50% on all vehicles. That was under, you know, following the, the guidance of public health officials. How may the need to continue that practice of social distancing impact uh, service as, you know, you're working on restoring it and even looking into the longer term? It's definitely going to be a challenge, and it's, it's making our team rethink what our goals are. Um, you know, I like to talk about we're, we're in the business of mass transit. That's about moving as, as big a mass as people as we can um, to wherever they're going. Now the focus is on moving those folks needing to make essential trips as spaced apart as, as possible. So that requires uh, very different um, strategies to be able to do that. We're very fortunate that we have very good data, that all of our, that we have technology on our buses that count um, everybody who gets on and off at what stop they get on and off at, um, so that we can look at that data on a daily basis and see how it changes so we can fine tune our our system over time. And we sort of went to a, a baseline level of service on the system, which was everything was running on the local side every 30 minutes, with some things running every 60. And then we were going, then we planned to add back service as we saw those, those numbers come in from the technology on our buses as ridership started to creep up. So in just the last four weeks, we've actually increased the amount of bus service by almost 40% uh, from what we were running just four weeks ago. And that's based on this daily data that, that we get uh, from the technology on our buses and from talking to, to bus operators and supervisors uh, as well to, to supplement that. And we've changed some of our policies to have operators log when, they've, when they're full and they've passed by folks uh, on the street that can't actually board the bus uh, so that we can sort of focus on those routes and adjust accordingly. But long term, it's going to mean we're going to have to rethink um, how our buses are designed, 
perhaps we want uh, less seating or more seating or, or seats that don't face each other or spaced a little bit further apart. We might want to rethink the number of 40-foot buses we're buying and instead buy some bigger buses, buy some more 60-foot articulated buses than we otherwise would have done. Um, it's going to obviously change how we, how we protect our drivers and our other frontline employees. We're looking at, at different types of plastic shields um, for our operators uh, from where they sit, trying to give them some, some separation from the public. Uh, moving forward. So it's not only just policies, but it's about what kind of equipment we're going to run and then how are we going to clean and maintain it to give everybody a, a confidence level that they can ride our service safely and uh, help us get them to where they need to go. From someone like yourself who's um, been in this industry now for some time, you know, how uh, th there's obviously still the need, very much need uh, for uh, public transportation uh, and even mass transit. Um, but how dramatic um, do you see this impact of this global pandemic on the transit industry? It's a question of what we want our cities to be. Um, there are folks who don't think Transit should exist. Um, people, we, that the, the public should not subsidize public transit and since it doesn't make money, it should go away. But this pandemic has really shown how cities in particular are dependent upon public transit. It is, we could not get the food that we eat. We could not get the medicines that we eat. Um, we could not get the, the healthcare that we need without folks who ride transit, many of which do not have a choice, um, to work every day. And what makes a city great and why people want to live in cities, transit really enables that to happen. So unless we're prepared to make every freeway, you know, 25, 30 lanes wide, and destroy entire neighborhoods. Um, everybody driving a car, whether it is autonomous or whether there's actually a human behind the wheel, doesn't change that dynamic that we need to move people um, and large numbers of them quickly and, and efficiently. So this pandemic to me doesn't really change the need for transit what it does change is how we provide that and what is how do we need to rethink again our policies our vehicles our, our cleaning schedules what materials we use um, how can we make things as you know touchless as possible um, so that people can use transit safely so that cities can, can, can contribute, can, can, can continue to thrive. Um, so it's not a question of do we need transit or not. I, I don't see transit going away, um, but rather how do we adjust what we provide um, in the future? And that's 
that's been true over time. You're always presented with challenges and it's, and it's how you respond to those to be successful. Um, and this is no different. And the point you make really underscores uh, the uh, conversation uh, that we've been having throughout the uh, transit industry, which is uh, about the value and need to have very thoughtful, well-planned, um, intentional investment in public transportation versus public transportation being some type of afterthought. When it's well-planned and well-thought-out, um, transit can be a big boost um, to a city. It, it attracts individuals, it attracts companies, um, because it reduces people's stress on their commute. It enables them uh, choices, which are what a lot of companies are looking for in how to attract and retain their employees. And not every job is gonna be able to be done at home uh, forever. While folks are making sacrifices and making do in the, in the short term, in the long term, what makes cities successful is that agglomeration of, of people and activity and you know how we how we meet and in what numbers we meet might change over time um, but it's going to continue to happen for us and we'll step up and figure out the best way to do that so that Houston and, and every other city that runs transit is going through that same exercise on what does this mean what is what is our system going to look like next year and and what should be our goals and that's it's not a bad thing right and and i think it's important again to highlight kind of something you alluded to at the beginning of the conversation um and that's about that you know your team like the entire agency was able to respond to this crisis and implement uh, the changes very quickly and really in some cases standing out as an industry leader um and it sounds like you have somewhat of a sense of why that's the case as far as some of the other emergencies that you've had to quickly respond yeah i mean nobody likes to go through a hurricane um but it certainly gives you a defined timeline that what you're going to get done has to be done in x amount of time and you don't get to negotiate an extension with that. Um, you know, we had the unfortunate event where we lost both um, the first President Bush and his wife in, in a matter of a few months and had to do, uh, you know, provided a massive amount of transportation to move people to the viewing and to the, the service. Um, the rodeo every year is sort of practice for these big events. Um, you know, that's sort of one of the world's largest, you know, parties uh, with livestock in the world. And it means that, you know, the NFL is not shy to come to Houston when they pick a Super Bowl site. Transportation is not, uh, it's not one of their concerns. It's not a concern of the NCAA when they decide where the final four, the elite eight is going to be. We have a, a lot of practice in moving a lot of people um, in very short periods of time. So we're, we're very good at whether you want to call it special event, crisis management, um, or all of the above. Uh, but it's something I think we, 
we take a bit of pride in here in, in Houston, that there's no problem too big that we can't figure out and solve. And that just goes back to, I think, the wonderful thing about Houston, about being that very can-do attitude, you know, we put, you know, we put the first man on the moon, uh, we were gonna take on that challenge and we, we did it. Um, you know, we were uh, fortunate enough and intelligent enough to, to build, you know, one of the world's largest ports, I don't know, 60, 70 miles inland. Um, that helped drive our economy for, for years and continues to do that. Uh, we don't shy away from those big challenges and this will be no different. We'll, we'll figure out a way to get this done. Absolutely. And, and as we close out in, in terms of that idea, what uh, would you like to remind patrons particularly sort of to keep in mind and, and perhaps expect here uh, in the coming weeks and months? Yeah, you know, I think we're going to have to get, um, we're going to have to reacquaint ourselves and get comfortable with being out in public with other folks that are, are not your family members. And that's going to mean the, the due diligence that we have to do in terms of washing your hands, wearing a mask, um, it's not going away. And that's whether you're on transit or whether you're going to the grocery store. Um, you do those things as much for you as you do for everyone else around you. And I don't think transit is gonna be any different. Um, I don't think our enhanced cleaning procedures are going away. I think they're actually only going to increase as we're looking at different solutions uh, that work, some may work well, some may not work and, and we'll tweak them. Uh, in terms of scheduling, we might even look at scheduling our services differently. A lot of our service, a bus operator takes a bus out, drives for seven or eight hours and then takes that bus back to our garage. We might look to schedule more and more folks who might go out for four hours and might take that bus somewhere to have it wiped down, cleaned, washed, whatever you want to call it, disinfected for an hour, and they get a, a lunch break in the middle of their day before they go out and drive another three or four hours. So there's lots of things that we can adjust uh, to make sure that we provide service you know, a, as safely as possible. And I think just the safe part of it, that definition has just changed a little bit. Sure. Um, but we're going to continue to respond with uh, more service on our busiest routes to try and keep everyone um, as spaced out as we can. There's, there's obviously limitations. We only have so many buses and so many drivers. Uh, but we're going to continue to, to do that to the best of our ability. Um, and we'll, we're only running a handful of park and rides right now. Because again, demand in downtown is still very low but we're developing contingency plans for increasing the amount of service, increasing the number of routes as we expect more businesses to open and, uh, and employees to come back downtown. So um, we've got good plans in place over the next several months to, to respond. So uh, we're not going away and we look forward to the challenge of getting you know, Houston back to normal with whatever normal might be for us going forward and bringing on new service too, all in the middle of this with metro rapid 
we are looking forward, hopefully, um, the end of summer um, to starting our first bus rapid transit line, the, the Silver Line in, in Uptown. So that, that testing is going on right now. So, you know, uh, we, never, we never slow down. Uh, despite all of this craziness, that planning continues and that testing as they're, they're putting the finishing touches on the, the lane and the garages and the transit centers improvements. The, 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 the buses look good and are functioning well. So uh, we're looking forward to, to introducing Houston to that new service um, in the next few months. Well, Kurt, I really appreciate your time and your input and um, all of your team's effort. This has been fun. Happy to do this anytime. Kurt Larson, Vice President of Service Planning. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. That's all for this edition of The Next Stop. I'm Laura Whitley. If you'd like to check out more episodes, you can find them on our website or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Google Play. Until next time, drive less, do more with Metro.